0: volume 3 chapter 10 of the seaboard parish this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit librivox.org reading done by jules harlock the seaboard parish by george macdonald chapter 10 the sermon When I stood up to preach, I gave them no text, but with the eleventh chapter of the Gospel of St. John opened before me. To keep me correct, I proceeded to tell the story in the words God gave me, for who can dare to say that he makes his own commonest speech. When Jesus Christ, the Son of God, and therefore our elder brother, was going about on the earth eating and drinking with his brothers and sisters, There was one family he loved especially, a family of two sisters and a brother. For, although he loves everybody as much as they can be loved, there are some who can be loved more than others. Only God is always trying to make us such that we can be loved more and more. There are several stories, oh, such lovely stories, about that family and Jesus, and we have to do with one of them now. They lived near the capital of the country, Jerusalem, in a village they called Bethany. And it must have been a great relief to our Lord, when he was worn out with the obstinacy and the pride of the great men of the city, to go out to the quiet little town and into the refuge of Lazarus's house, where every one was more glad at the sound of his feet than at any news that could come to them. They had at this time behaved so ill to him in Jerusalem, taking up stones to stone him even, though they dare not quite do it, mad with anger as they were, and all because he told them the truth, that he had gone away to the other side of the great river that divided the country, and taught the people in that quiet place. While he was there his friend Lazarus was taken ill, and the two sisters, Martha and Mary sent a messenger to him, to say to him, Lord, your friend is very ill. Only they said it more beautifully than that. Lord, behold, he whom thou lovest is sick. You know, when anyone is ill, we always want the person whom he loves most to come to him. This is very wonderful. In the worst things that can come to us, the first thought is of love people like the scribes and the pharisees might say what good can that do to him and we may not in the least suppose that the person we want knows any secret that can cure his pain yet love is the first thing we think of and here we are more right than we know for at the long last love will cure everything which truth indeed this story will set forth to us no doubt the heart of Lazarus, ill as he was longed after his friend and very likely even the sight of jesus might have given him such strength that the life in him could have driven out the death which had already got one foot across the threshold but the sisters expected more than this they believed that jesus whom they knew to have driven disease and death out of so many hearts had only to come and touch him nay, only to speak a word, to look at him, and their brother was saved. Do you think they presumed in thus expecting? The fact was, they did not believe enough, they had not yet learned to believe that he could cure him all the same whether he came to them or not, because he was always with them. We cannot understand this, but our understanding is never a measure of what is true." whether jesus knew exactly all that was going to take place i cannot tell some people may feel certain upon points that i dare not feel certain upon one thing i am sure of that he did not always know everything beforehand for he said so himself it is infinitely more valuable to us because more beautiful and godlike in him that he should trust his father than that he should foresee everything. At all events he knew that his father did not want him to go to his friends yet. So he sent them a message to the effect that there was a particular reason for this sickness, that the end of it was not the death of Lazarus, but the glory of God. This I think he told them by the same messenger they sent to him, and then, instead of going to them, he remained where he was. But oh, my friends, what shall I say about this wonderful message? Think of being sick for the glory of God, of being shipwrecked for the glory of God, of being drowned for the glory of God. How can the sickness, the fear, the broken-heartedness of his creatures be for the glory of God? What kind of a God can that be? Why just a God so perfectly, absolutely good? that the things that look least like are only the means of clearing our eyes to let us see how good he is. For he is so good that he is not satisfied with being good. He loves his children, so that except he can make them good, like himself, make them blessed by seeing how good he is, and desiring the same goodness in themselves. He is not satisfied. He is not like a fine, proud benefactor who is content with doing that which will satisfy his sense of his own glory, but like a mother who puts her arm around her child and whose heart is sore till she can make her child see the love which is her glory. The glorification of the Son of God is the glorification of the human race, for the glory of God is the glory of man, and that glory is love. WELCOME SICKNESS, WELCOME SORROW, WELCOME DEATH, REVEALING THY GLORY. The next two verses sound very strangely together, and yet they almost seem typical of all the perplexities of God's dealings. The old painters and poets represent Faith as a beautiful woman, holding in her hand a cup of wine and water, with a serpent coiled up within. High-hearted Faith, She scruples not to drink of the life-giving wine and water. She is not repelled by the upcoiled serpent. The serpent she takes but for the type of the eternal wisdom that looks repellent because it is not understood. The wine is good, the water is good, and if the hand of the supreme faith put that cup in her hand, the serpent itself must be good too, harmless at least to hurt the truth of the water and the wine. But let us read the verses. Now Jesus loved Martha, and her sister, and Lazarus. When he had heard therefore that he was sick, he abode two days still in the same place where he was. Strange, his friend was sick, he abode two days where he was. But remember what we have already heard the glory of God was infinitely more for the final cure of a dying Lazarus, who, give him all the life he could have, would yet, without that glory, be in death, than the mere presence of the Son of God. I say mere presence, for, compared with the glory of God, the very presence of his Son, so dissociated, is nothing. He abode where he was that the glory of God, The final cure of humanity the love that triumphs over death might shine out and redeem the hearts of men so that death could not touch them after the two days the hour had arrived he said to his disciples let us go back to judea they expostulated because of the danger saying master the jews of late sought to stone thee and goest thou thither again The answer which he gave them, I am not sure whether I can thoroughly understand. But I think, in fact, I know, it must bear on the same region of life, the will of God. I think what he means by walking in the day is simply doing the will of God. That was the soul, the all-embracing light in which Jesus ever walked. I think he means that now he saw plainly what the Father wanted him to do if he did not see that the father wanted him to go back to judea and yet went that would be to go stumblingly to walk in the darkness there are twelve hours in the day one time to act a time of light and the clear call of duty there is a night when a man not seeing where or hearing how must be content to rest something not inharmonious with this i think he must have intended, but I do not see the whole thought clearly enough to be sure that I am right. I do think, further, that it points at a clearer condition of human vision and conviction than I am good enough to understand, though I hope one day to rise into this upper stratum of light. Whether his scholars had heard anything of Lazarus yet, I do not know. It looks a little as if Jesus had not told them the message he had had from the sisters. But he told them now that he was asleep, and that he was going to wake him. You would think they might have understood this. The idea of going so many miles to wake a man might have surely suggested death. But the disciples were sorely perplexed with many of his words. Sometimes they looked far away for the meaning when the meaning lay in their very hearts. Sometimes they looked into their hands for it when it was lost in the grandeur of the ages. But he meant them to see into all that he said, by and by, although they could not see into it now. When they understood him better, then they would understand what he said better, and to understand him better they must be more like him. AND TO MAKE THEM MORE LIKE HIM, HE MUST GO AWAY AND GIVE THEM HIS SPIRIT. AWFUL MYSTERY, WHICH NO MAN BUT HIMSELF CAN UNDERSTAND. NOW HE HAD TO TELL THEM PLAINLY THAT LAZARUS WAS DEAD, THAT THEY HAD NOT THOUGHT OF DEATH AS A SLEEP. I SUPPOSE THIS WAS ALTOGETHER A NEW AND CHRISTIAN IDEA. DO NOT SUPPOSE THAT IT APPLIED MORE TO LAZARUS THAN TO OTHER DEAD PEOPLE. He was nonetheless dead, that Jesus meant to take a weary two days' journey to his sepulchre and wake him. If death is not asleep, Jesus did not speak the truth when he said Lazarus slept. You may say it was a figure, but a figure that is not like the thing it figures is simply a lie. They set out to go back to Judea. Here we have a glimpse of the faith of Thomas, the doubter. FOR A DOUBTER IS NOT WITHOUT FAITH. THE VERY FACT THAT HE DOUBTS SHOWS THAT HE HAS SOME FAITH. WHEN I FIND ANYONE HARD UPON DOUBTERS, I ALWAYS DOUBT THE QUALITY OF HIS FAITH. IT IS OF LITTLE USE TO HAVE A GREAT CABLE, IF THE HEMP IS SO POOR THAT IT BREAKS LIKE THE PAINTER OF A BOAT. I HAVE KNOWN PEOPLE WHOSE POWER OF BELIEVING CHIEFLY CONSISTED IN THESE INCAPACITIES FOR SEEING DIFFICULTIES. Of what fine sort of faith must be that is founded in stupidity, or far worse, in indifference to the truth and the mere desire to get out of hell? That is not a grand belief in the Son of God, the radiation of the Father. Thomas's want of faith was shown in the grumbling, self-pitying way in which he said, Let us also go that we may die with him. His master had said that he was going to wake him. Thomas said that we may die with him. You may say he did not understand him. True, it may be, but his unbelief was the cause of his not understanding him. I suppose Thomas meant this as a reproach to Jesus for putting them all in danger by going back to Judea. If not, it was only a poor piece of sentimentality. So much for Thomas's unbelief, but he had good and true faith notwithstanding, for he went with his master. By the time they reached the neighborhood of Bethany, Lazarus had been dead four days. Someone ran to the house and told the sisters that Jesus was coming. Martha, as soon as she heard it, rose and went to meet him. It might be interesting at another time to compare the difference of the behavior of the two sisters upon this occasion with the difference of their behavior upon another occasion. Likewise recorded, but with the man dead in his sepulchre and the hope dead in these two hearts we have no inclination to enter upon fine distinctions of character. Death and grief bring out the great family likeness. In the living as well as in the dead when martha came to jesus she showed her true thought in perfect faith by almost attributing her brother's death to jesus's absence but even in the moment looking in the face of the master a fresh hope a new budding of faith began in her soul she thought what if after all he were to bring him to life again oh trusting heart how thou leavest the dull plodding intellect behind thee! While the conceited intellect is reasoning upon the impossibility of the thing, the expectant faith beholds it accomplished. Jesus, responding instantly to her faith, granting her half-born prayer, says, Thy brother shall rise again, not meaning the general truth recognized, or at least assented to, by all but the Sadducees. CONCERNING THE FINAL RESURRECTION OF THE DEAD, BUT MEANING, BE IT UNTO THEE AS THOU WILT, I WILL RAISE HIM AGAIN, FOR THERE IS NO STEERING FOR A FINE EFFECT IN THE WORDS OF JESUS, BUT THESE WORDS ARE TOO GOOD FOR MARTHA TO TAKE THEM AS HE MEANT THEM, HER FAITH IS NOT QUITE EQUAL TO THE BELIEF THAT HE ACTUALLY WILL DO IT, THE THING SHE COULD HOPE FOR, afar off SHE COULD HARDLY BELIEVE WHEN IT CAME TO HER VERY DOOR. Oh yes, she said, her mood falling again to the level of the commonplace, of course, at the last day. Then the Lord turns away her thoughts from the dogmas of her faith, to himself, the life, saying, I am the resurrection, and the life, he that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live, and whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. Believeth thou this, Martha, without understanding what he said more than, in a very poor part, answered in words which preserved her honesty entire, and yet included all he asked, and a thousandfold more than she could yet believe. Yea, Lord, I believe that thou art the Christ, the Son of God, which should come into the world." I dare not pretend to have more than a grand glimmering of the truth of Jesus' words, Shall never die. But I am pretty sure that when Martha came to die, she found that there was indeed no such thing as she had meant when she used the ghastly word, Death, and said with her first new breath, Verily, Lord, I am not dead. But look how this declaration of her confidence in the Christ operated upon herself. She instantly thought of her sister. The hope that the Lord would do something swelled within her, and, leaving Jesus, she went to find Mary. Whoever has had a true word with the elder brother straightway will look around him to find his brother, his sister. The family feeling blossoms. He wants his friend to share the glory with all. Martha wants Mary to go to Jesus, too. Mary heard her forgot her visitors rose and went they thought she went to the grave she went to meet its conqueror but when she came to him the woman who had chosen the good part praised of jesus had but the same words to embody her hope and her grief that her careful and troubled sister had uttered a few minutes before how often during those four days had not the self-same words passed between them ah if he had been here our brother had not died she said so to himself now and wept and her friends who had followed her wept likewise a moment more and the master groaned yet a moment and he too wept sorrow is catching but this was not the mere infection of sorrow it went deeper than mere sympathy for he groaned in his spirit and was troubled what made him weep It was when he saw them weeping that he wept, but why should he weep when he knew how soon their weeping would be turned into rejoicing? It was not for their weeping, so soon to be over, that he wept, but for the human heart everywhere swollen with tears, yea, with griefs that can find no such relief as tears. FOR THESE AND FOR ALL HIS BROTHERS AND SISTERS, tormented WITH PAIN FOR LACK OF FAITH IN HIS FATHER IN HEAVEN, JESUS WEPT. HE SAW THE BLESSED WELL-BEING OF LAZARUS ON THE ONE SIDE, AND ON THE OTHER THE STREAMING EYES FROM WHOSE SIGHT HE HAD VANISHED. THE VEIL BETWEEN WAS SO THIN, YET THE SIGHT OF THOSE EYES COULD NOT PIERCE IT. THEIR HEARTS MUST GO ON WEEPING WITHOUT CAUSE for his father was so good. I think it was the helplessness he felt in the impossibility of at once sweeping away the phantasm death from their imagination that drew the tears from the eyes of Jesus. Certainly it was not for Lazarus. It could hardly be for these his friends, save as they represented the humanity which he would help but could not help even as he was about to help them the jews saw here in proof that he loved lazarus but they little thought it was for them and their people and for the gentiles whom they despised that his tears were now flowing that the love which pressed the fountains of his weeping was love for every human heart from adam on through the ages some of them went a little farther nearly as far as the sisters, saying, could he not have kept the man from dying? But it was such a poor thing, after all, that they thought he might have done. They regarded merely this unexpected illness, this early death, for I dare say Lazarus was not much older than Jesus. They did not think that, after all, Lazarus must die sometime, that the Beloved could be saved, at best only for a little while. Jesus seems to have heard the remark, for he again groaned in himself. Meantime they were drawing near the place where he was buried. It was a hollow in the face of a rock, with a stone laid against it. I suppose the bodies were laid on something like shelves inside the rock, as they are in many sepulchres. They were not put into coffins, but wound round and round with linen. WHEN THEY CAME BEFORE THE DOOR OF DEATH, JESUS SAID TO THEM, TAKE AWAY THE STONE. THE NATURE OF MARTHA'S REPLY, THE REALISM OF IT, AS THEY WOULD SAY NOWADAYS, WOULD SEEM TO INDICATE THAT HER DAWNING FAITH HAD SUNK AGAIN BELOW THE HORIZON, THAT IN THE PRESENCE OF THE INSIGNIA OF DEATH, HER FAITH YIELDED, EVEN AS THE FAITH OF PETER FAILED HIM WHEN HE SAW AROUND HIM THE grandeur OF THE HIGH PRIEST and is faster bound and helpless jesus answered oh what an answer to meet the corruption and the stink which filled her poor human fancy the glory of god came from his lips human fear horror speaking from the lips of a woman in the very jaws of devouring death and this said i not unto thee from the mouth of him who was so soon to pass worn and bloodless through such a door he stinketh said martha the glory of god said jesus said i not unto thee that if thou wouldest believe thou shouldest see the glory of god before the open throat of the sepulchre jesus began to speak to his father aloud he had prayed to him in his heart before most likely while he groaned in his spirit NOW HE THANKETH HIM THAT HE HAD COMFORTED HIM, AND GIVEN HIM Lazarus AS A FIRST FRUIT FROM THE DEAD. BUT HE WILL BE TRUE TO THE LISTENING PEOPLE AS WELL AS TO HIS EVER HEARING FATHER. THEREFORE HE TELLS WHY HE SAID THE WORD OF THANKS ALOUD, A THING NOT USUAL WITH HIM, FOR HIS FATHER WAS ALWAYS HEARING HIM. HAVING SPOKEN IT FOR THE PEOPLE, HE WOULD SAY THAT IT WAS FOR THE PEOPLE. The end of it all was that they might believe that God had sent him-a far grander gift than having the dearest brought back from the grave, for he is the life of men. Lazarus, come forth! And Lazarus came forth, creeping helplessly with inch-long steps of his linen-bound limbs. Ha! Ha! Brother! Sister! cries the human heart. The Lord of life hath taken the prey from the spoiler. He hath emptied the grave. Here comes the dead man, welcome as never was a child from the womb, new born, and in him all the human race new born from the grave. Loose him, and let him go, and the work is done. The sorrow is over, and the joy is come. Home, home, Martha, Mary, with your Lazarus. He too will go with you, the Lord of the living home and get the feast ready martha prepare the food for him who comes hungry from the grave for him who has called him thence home mary to help martha what a household will yours be what a wondrous speech will pass between the dead come to life and the living come to die but what pang is this that makes lazarus draw hurried breath and turns martha's cheek so pale ah At the little window of the heart, the pale eyes of the defeated horror look in. What? Is he there still? Ah, yes, he will come for Martha, come for Mary, come yet again for Lazarus. Yea, come for the Lord of life himself, and carry all away. But look at the Lord, he knows all about it, and he smiles. Does Martha think of the words he spoke, He that liveth and believeth in me shall never die? perhaps she does and like the moon before the sun her face returns the smile of her lord this my friends is the fancy in form but it embodies a dear truth what is it to you and me that he raised lazarus we are not called upon to believe that he will raise from the tomb that joy of our hearts which lies buried there beyond our sight stop are we not we are called upon to believe this, else the whole story were for us a pure mockery. What is it to us that the Lord raised Lazarus? It is nothing to know that our brother is Lord over the grave. Will the harvest be behind the first fruits? If he tells us he cannot, for good reason, raise up our vanished love today or tomorrow or for all the years of our life to come. SHALL WE NOT MINGLE THE SMILE OF FAITHFUL THANKS WITH THE SORROW OF PRESENT LOSS, AND WALK DILIGENTLY WAITING? THAT HE CALLED FORTH LAZARUS SHOWED THAT HE WAS IN HIS KEEPING, THAT HE IS LORD OF THE LIVING, AND THAT ALL LIVE TO HIM, THAT HE HAS A HOLD OF THEM, AND CAN DRAW THEM FORTH WHEN HE WILL. IF THIS IS NOT TRUE, THEN THE RAISING OF LAZARUS IS FALSE. I DO NOT MEAN MERELY FALSE IN FACT. But false in meaning. If we believe in him, then in his name, both for ourselves and for our friends, we must deny death and believe in life. Lord Christ, fill our hearts with thy life End of chapter ten.